It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This, my friends, is Access Atlanta. It's a new podcast that shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison, and this week I'm here with our dining editor, LaGaia Figueres. Welcome. Hello. Thanks, Shane. How are you? I'm great. And uh, we're here to talk about uh, the past year in dining. A year in dining. Yeah. 12 months and a lot happened in the last 12 months. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and there a lot of uh, food was consumed. A lot of food <laughs> and drink, let me say. Yeah. <laughs> now it's the new year. Are you doing the dry January thing? No. No. I, probably not. I haven't decided, <laughs> but mm, probably not. But yeah, no, a lot of things happened in in the last year. We tasted some great food. Um, if you read some of our reviews, we tasted some not great food yeah. at times. But no, overall, it was a it was a good year for Atlanta dining. Yeah, yeah there was a lot of uh, new stuff that that opened up. A lot of stuff that closed. Right. Uh, you know, I was looking back, and um, more than two hundred restaurants opened last wow. year. Right. And there were obviously closings, just like the cycle in you know any calendar year for a large. Um, dining city like Atlanta, but I would say it was a fairly strong year, um, yeah. you know, in general for the scene. Yeah, there's a lot of new developments and things and people, you know, right. moving into those, of course. And second locations. You have yep. some folks, or third or fourth, mm-hmm. you know, you have some concepts that uh, have, um, you know, multiple units. And we saw that, too, just in the, in the way of, um, you know, food halls type of thing or yeah yeah, some of the developments where you know they're going after some of the big names and 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 put those um brands in in those locations (laughs) you know i'm thinking specifically something like uh, marietta square market where there's a number of the vendors there uh, actually have multiple locations type thing yeah but um yeah no it was an exciting year i don't know where where did your car take you this year or this past year yeah i'm trying to remember i I actually just recently went to the deer and the dove which Uh, of course Replaced cakes and ale, right, sadly. Right. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, I love Deer and the Dove, but I do miss cakes and ale. It's tour. a new chapter yep. in that space. And yep. um, I, too, enjoyed cakes and ale very much. And I enjoy uh, Deer and the Dove yeah, just as much. I right think now. it's I think it's a, a, a great replacement right. for it because it, there there are definite similarities. I sure, think. sure. Um, well, I, th- I think that Terry Koval is doing a great job. It's a very heartfelt place. Yeah. And um, just like... It was, you know, before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 
Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully those guys will get, you know, they're uh, first you need to get one year under your belt. Then you get 10, you right. know, all of these milestones. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I think about where I was uh, this past year and, you know, certain places that took me back again and again and again. I was constantly in uh, College Park. A lot happened on yeah. Main Street, College Park. Um, Summer Hill, you know, exploded. Yeah, yeah and there's more coming and there. And there's more coming. Yeah. Cranes galore in West Midtown. Hmm. I mean, it, when you just think yep. about what's going up there, <laughs> yeah. West Side Provisions District, yep. um, it, there was a lot of turnover there. And but I, it's it's a quite a strong lineup of of restaurants that they have between you know you you have um, JCT Kitchen and and Marcel there already from right. Ford Fry but then you turn around and you have Aziza um, that yeah. came in just ne- below Marcel you have the Bacchanalia space now filled by Redbird right. you have the little box space underneath filled by um, Forza Storico so there's some pretty strong new contenders there in the yeah. in the dining industry here in Atlanta. Um, You know, and I would say, too, I thought that more would be happening at the Battery. Um, I mean, we're seeing turnover there and whatnot, but um, I don't know if you have feelings about the Battery. You know, I actually have not really been, and I know that there there are some places there that I do want to go, Mm -hmm. um, and and I need to make a point of doing so, but haven't yet. And there's still some more, you know, vendors that are are coming in kind of thing, Um, but I'm not quite sure if it's it's there yet, and Mm -hmm. particularly in uh, the off-season, you know, when baseball isn't operating. Um, We shall see. We shall see on that. Um, You know, when you think about the the calendar year, do you remember it was like back in January that Pinky Cole um, debuted her slutty vegan concept, which was the, you know, alternative meat burger joint Mm -hmm. um, that started as a food truck. She opens up her brick and mortar to grand lines. Huge lines. That was a year ago, you know. And then um, it was only in... March of last year that Brian Furman's Bees Cracklin burned down, which yeah. was a huge story. Yeah. It feels like forever ago, doesn't I, it? It really does. And I mean, we had only been there just a few weeks before that happened. Oh, wow. Like, and, you know, it was so sad. Right. But then, you know, he there were all these rumors and, and speculation about where he was going to move and, and right. or if he was moving at all, if right. he was going to have a temporary spot. And at right. one point it was near Decatur and I was very excited about that. That didn't happen, but... You know, it's like any anything that brings that stuff closer to me, I'm all for. Well, he does have his temporary <laughs> spot right. now, right? And I think yeah. he's still working on securing um, a permanent place yes. over in Riverside, and that just hasn't happened yeah. yet. So we'll we'll be patient on that. Yep. You know, I was thinking about another um, story that I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but um, Restaurant Eugene, you know, closing mm-hmm. Linton Hopkins's, um, you know, tasting menu, and I wonder if that's an indication that it might uh, is the tasting menu you a thing yet or not right. i mean just the other day i was eating at staple house and they have you know their tasting menu only ron sue over at lazy betty that opened this year they are at tasting menu only now which right. by the way before um when they first opened they had a small bite sort of a bar menu right and they're only going to tasting menu oh no i didn't know that right That's, hmm. so it'll be interesting with restaurant eugene have you know it's closed and it's going to reopen right um, but that's an a la carte menu. Right. Um, and, you know, the last one, I guess, as we sit here and, like, 
think about toward the end of the year, what were some of the stories? Um, when Bonnie Bambinelli died, oh, you know, yeah. she passed away um, just a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, it's never really fun to write an obit, but you, mm-hmm. you do your best to honor people who've made such an um, impact in the scene. I was so touched by just how heartfelt people are um, and and how loyal they are oh, yes. to restaurants who have made an impact yeah. in their lives. And yeah. it was so um, touching to read some of the tributes that her patrons had to say about her. Yeah. Well, she was, I mean, we were, you know, fairly regular there and she was always fabulous. We we loved her. It was like you you walk in there and you did. You She greeted you like you were family. Right. She was fabulous lady. She was, it, it, people just loved her. I mean, she just had that presence that's, it's like you go in there and you just welcome. It's warm and friendly. Sure. And she's taking care of you. Right. You know? Well, I think that we have to remember at the end of the day that, um, this is the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. and it's not just about food. It's about people, yep. and that's you know part of what keeps us coming back to the same place. You know, oh yeah, year after year. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, we just experienced that the other day. We were at the White Bull, and um, you know, we we go there quite a bit, and they greeted us. You know, it's like, hey, welcome back. You know, it that's a great feeling. Absolutely. You know, when you go in a restaurant and they recognize you and they know who you Where are. Where everybody knows your name. Yeah, it's it really it makes a difference and right. it makes you want to come back. Right, right. Yeah. So there's a lot of places in Atlanta who are doing that for yep. us right now. Yeah. And uh, and that's very exciting. Now, I will tell you, so so I had a chat with, um, with Bob Townsend and mm-hmm. Wendell Brock, um, Bob being, you know, our longtime um, food and beer writer, mm-hmm. and then Wendell, who is my fellow dining critic here. Um, and we were chatting about the scene, so folks are going to be able to hear that in a second. Yep. And I should also, um, you know, tease you a little bit, but we're excited for 2020, and we have some special news related to our uh, restaurant review star rating system. Yeah, so say there will be some changes coming. There and, are some changes yeah. coming, so folks are going to have to listen to our conversation yeah. in order to get that information. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we're going to uh, uh, go to the uh, guy's conversation with Wendell and Bob, uh, and you'll hear all about the news that they have to share about how the reviews will be changing. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, and uh, cheers to an awesome year in dining in 2020. Hello, I'm Lagaya Figueres, the food and dining editor for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm joined here today by my fellow dining critic, Wendell Brock, and our longtime beer and food writer, Bob Townsend. Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. You're yes, welcome. Very much. I hope that uh, you had a, a good holiday. We did. And now we hear we're here. We're ready to start uh, 2020 in a big way, but... I haven't had a chance to pause and talk with you guys about what happened back in 2019. A lot went on in our dining scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lots of good food. Lots yeah. of and good drink. food and drink for sure. So, uh, you know, let's let's talk about it. What what was the most exciting thing for for you, Wendell, when we look at the big big picture of uh, Atlanta dining? Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit. I, I'm really interested in um, sort of this beyond Buford Highway phenomenon, that we have really good international places that are popping up inside the perimeter now. It used to always be, you know, go to Buford Highway, go to Buford Highway. Now we have a great Vietnamese restaurant in, in Avondale Estates, 
We have a great Chinese restaurant in Decatur, high authentic Chinese. Uh, we have a great authentic um, robata and, and sake place in, in West Midtown. Um, these are all run by immigrants. They're immigrant success stories, people who came here and worked hard and are, are you know, bringing the food to us in the city. So when it's rush hour and you're in Grant Park or Cabbage Town, you don't have to get on the interstate and bite the traffic. Right. Well, and the other point when you and I had talked about uh, this phenomenon earlier, it's also these are second generation immigrant owners. So the concepts are um, a little bit different, perhaps, or the the treatment, the dining experience um, would be perhaps a little bit different from um, what their parents might have done, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Some of them are. Some of them are, are interestingly enough, they're immigrants. They, they came here and studied at Georgia, Georgia State or University of Georgia. Um, the guy who owns Viovana told me when I interviewed him, he said, we're, we're boat people. He, they came here when he was two years old in a boat to get out of Vietnam for political reasons and, uh, and started in Texas, maybe because they had family there and ended up in Georgia. Um, he studied business at the University of Georgia and wanted to get into food. He had a whole variety of businesses, he, some successful, some not. He delivered food to nail salons, Asian nail salons. Then he met his wife, and he told me he thought he was a great Vietnamese cook until he met his wife, and she said, no, it's it's just okay. So he went to Vietnam and really studied the culture, the cuisine, and, and um, now he's in Avondale making his own pho noodles. Right. So I like, the, I like those kind of stories, and they're endless. Yeah, so, sure, sure, yeah. sure. Well, and I think as a collective, when you talk about, you know, uh, beyond Buford's story, yeah, yeah I, I would definitely agree with that trend. Bob, yeah. you write um, every week a first look for us. So you get in, you're the first one to get in and, and um, check out a new concept and talk with the, the team behind it. What did you notice this past year? Um, it, you know, one thing we talked about is a lot of uh, longtime Atlanta chefs who finally started their own restaurant. And not that I, I find those really interesting restaurants. In fact, a few of them are among, among my favorites right now. All right, so let's talk about um, who those would be. <laughs> who are those? Um, yeah, Terry Koval, the deer and the dove. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I had a stellar time at that place. I really appreciate it. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, especially for people who are longtime supporters of Cakes and Ale, um, that place is endearing, and I think Terry has really done a, a great job with what he's done there. So just to clarify, I think a lot of people associate him with Wrecking Bar. Yep. But that So tell us how that worked. That wasn't really his. Well, it wasn't his, really his, his restaurant. He was the chef was, there. They hired him to be and the they, chef. Yeah. And so okay. this turned out to be his first. In fact, a lot of stuff went on with Wrecking Bar, change of owners and that stuff. But he's okay. still the executive chef there. Okay. So but this is his own place. And what's really interesting, I think, about it is that he opened it with his wife. Right. She's, the, you know, she's the dove. He's the deer. And it was, it's one of your favorite places. It really, I mean, I gave it three stars. And it, it truly is, among all the new openings in 2019, that has to be hands down my favorite. What I was going to say is they all had very personal and poignant stories about sort of getting their own restaurant a restaurant of their own and what i thought was really interesting is they each sort of had a woman there were three women behind the men oh that's a great so, observation. so so in case of joy ward the restaurant southern bell was named for his wife and co-owner atlanta attorney emily ward 
And and we should we should say for people who don't realize Joey Ward is a longtime chef with uh, Kevin Gillespie's yeah. group, and so and, he, yeah. people know him from Gun Show. Yep, absolutely, and he had a lot to say about that. So uh, as we said, for Terry Koval at the Deer and Dove, it was partnering with his wife Jen Koval, who is the Dove for his deer, and then for Zeb Stevenson at Redbird, it was um, business partner Ross Jones, who, who Stevenson had previously worked for as an executive chef at Watershed. But all three of them had very interesting things to say about you know, having that first restaurant. It was a really big deal to them all. And uh, you know, uh, Zeb talked about working with Ross and how they were kind of an odd couple. They liked to travel together, they liked to cook together, they liked to hang out together. And that really kind of powered a lot of the menu and the concept behind the restaurant. Um, and then, um, you know, Terry talked about Jen coming up with the name. They're both their spirit animals. And uh, he said, I'm the deer and she's the dove. We live four minutes down the street from the restaurant. Uh, so it's their neighborhood. So it's a really personal thing to him. He talked about being a kid when he first started out in this business, riding around skateboards in Decatur. And, you know, just really cool stuff. Obviously, very, very happy to be there and doing that. And... Uh, and Ward, of course, talked a lot about Kevin Gillespie, who was his mentor and he worked with for a lot of years. And um, it was kind of hard for him to leave. I mean, he really, you know, he said candidly, Kevin really wanted him to stay and was going to give him a piece of the action. But it was really time for him to go, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I would say that all three of those places, there's a real um, heartfelt you can you can feel how personal that concept is to um, each one of those guys. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And it comes through in the food and it comes through in the atmosphere and sort of them doing what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know. So moving on to um, where we saw a lot of action, I, I think that there are definitely a few um, – hot spots, we could call it, you know, around the, the 2019 heat map for Atlanta. Um, I mean, for me, it was every time I would go to West Midtown, you're like, how many cranes can I count right now? That's been, I know now you guys have been here a lot longer than I have. So you know, the, the growth over there, is, yeah. but, but just even in the last year, it's just really, and the traffic and the traffic. It's been a complete turnaround. Yeah. Going further South, we saw even more. I think one of the the super exciting ones it would be Summerhill. Sure, absolutely. And that was, it's a really interesting place because there's a lot of younger people doing stuff. Junior's Pizza, you know, um, what else do we have? And actually, Your favorite restaurant. Actually, Junior is his wife, Jen's nickname. Yeah. I just yeah. discovered that this week. The guys behind Ticonderoga Club are opening a sandwich shop in oh, really? Summerhill. Just okay. got that information. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it continues to grow. We, you know, Todd Ginsburg is in on the action there with Woods Chapel. So Some of the best sides around, I think. Yeah. Well, when it comes to beer, one of the most exciting locations for you, I don't know how frequently, you're probably there once a week, you call it Malt Disney. Yeah. Tell us about West End. Lee and White has become this really uh, destination for breweries, and ASW built their, their big barrel room down there, and that place is always packed. So, you know, Best End opened recently, a, a really big happening brew pub. Um, 
you know, and Monday night was anchoring it along for a long time. So it's it's become you know just a place. Um, Hop City with their um, very um, interesting concept where they have a restaurant upstairs and and another bar and bottle shop downstairs where they're selling beer and wine to go. Um, well, and I was just over there the other day because I was chatting with the owner of uh, Cultured South the, and her fermentation right. room. Yep. So um, with Golda Kombucha is the brand that she runs. But yeah, that complex is just massive. And Wild Heaven opened a second location also. And each of those places has food, which is really interesting to me. That's that's really I think what that's we're seeing. too. And you, you see the food getting better and better, and they're more serious about it. Yeah, and absolutely. They they're hiring chefs, chefs. Or so. sometimes firing chefs, as the case may be. But. Ah. <laughs> well, if we, if we shifted from beer to, to cocktails, well, let's stick around. Let's keep talking drinking for a second here. I wish I had a drink to hand each of you right yeah. now. Um, what, what did you notice about the cocktail world? Well, we already know that Atlanta has one of the most dynamic cocktail um, scenes in the country. We have two beer-nominated places, um, Kimball House and that word we can't say, Ticonderoga Club, <laughs> the club. Uh, but this year, the Cardinal opened over at the Beacon, which is south of Grant Park, and it's two women. They also have a market there, and they use their products in the market, which are often produced by um, women and, and minorities in the restaurant to make the food. And that's the, they make very good cocktails. Um, and then Mercedes O'Brien at Kevin Gillespie's um, cold beer on the Beltline is excellent. So now we have, we, we've always had great women bartenders, but these are like, you know, taking it to another level, as we say. Right. So that's, that's I think that's very cool. I've appreciated uh, the number of restaurants who are now offering more and better low alcohol so low suppressor yeah. cocktails, which has been nice, and even you know mocktails, call them whatever you want. But, I never you know, drink zero those, alcohol. But <laughs> you're there, so healthy. There is, you know, there is definitely a, a, a group out there that you yeah, know, for sure, yeah, just like their vegan diners. That's right. So if you're smart, you're gonna have something for them. So it, it is really nice to see the thoughtfulness behind there. And you know, I will say um, this fall when I was reviewing Salary Man um, over in East Lake. I like their sake list. You were there with me, Bob. You yep. know, but I, I thought it was really, um, really nice and and interesting. And the fact that they're even you know using some um, um, product from a Nashville sake um, brewery was kind of cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I like sake. You know what I had the other day for the first time? I mean, I have had Kelly Thorne's drinks before. She is the. Um, the person who developed the beverage program for By George, which is new in the Candler Hotel downtown. And I had her drink. It's called Two World Hero. Have you had it? Apparently, this is her signature cocktail. Well, I haven't had it before. Amazing. Yeah. That, the cocktails there are really strong. She also has a... In both senses of the word. <laughs> she has a classic cocktail I've never heard of before or tried. It's called the Tulip. She's using a lot of, of French spirits, mm -hmm. cognac and things like that. And that was, that was a good drink. Right. Their good. wine guy's pretty good too, Stephen Grubbs. Yeah, no, the, it, it, was a, it was a solid list. So. Yeah. 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 It's a beautiful place and historic building downtown. 
So what were some of the, you know, we're talking about some of the stuff we really liked. Were there any disappointments for you guys? I can I can go first if you want. I'll be the brave one. Um, you know, uh, there were a fair amount of, um, n- I'm going to call it like new stuff from notable names, you know, that we had out there. I guess every year you might see some of your um, sort of industry leaders come out with a, another concept or whatever. But I, I was sort of disappointed with um, Little Ray, the Mexican or Tex-Mex from Ford Fry. Mainly, I, I second that emotion now. And we, I, we went together we, once. We did yeah. there together. I think one of the reasons is because um, in the past, some of his restaurants that he opened while on my watch – they came out of the gate really strong. I thought Marcel came out of the gate really strong when I reviewed that. Even, you know, um, um, Bar Margot. Mm-hmm. And um, I was disappointed. I just didn't feel, I mean, if the whole thing is about chicken, it just, it disappointed me. Yeah, it is. I really didn't like it. I did. <laughs> and I was surprised because <clears throat> I'm generally not a hater. I like his concepts. I think his Mexican concepts, what they are as Tex-Mex, they're pretty good value and they're fun to go to. I, you know, this one just kind of seemed chaotic in ordering. It didn't seem like the food was on point. It just, it was a great space. It's a great space. There's parking. The I've only been there phenomenal. one time. I liked it just fine. Yeah. I didn't think the margaritas were good. Yeah, so that was another big disappointment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's sort of um, billing himself as the king of Tex-Mex now. Um, he, he came out with a cookbook on Tex-Mex. Yep. he's from Houston. Um, so that's interesting. And yep. then he started out, what was his first restaurant? I'm going blank now. JCT. Yeah. As kind of a Southern contemporary sure. chef. So he's evolved into this Tex-Mex thing. So it's so, interesting. Yeah. I, I would say another one for me. Two different businesses there. Right. Emerging or something. I don't know. Um, Le Colonial. Did either of you eat there? I have not been there. I know, Bob, you were there because you did a first yeah, look with those guys. That's the French-Vietnamese place in, uh, you know, Buckhead. And it's a, it's a, the design is exactly what you'd expect from a, um, you know, fancy pants Buckhead spot. But I was really disappointed in that food. And, um, I mean, I felt it was extremely overpriced. And I'm not going to look for my French-Vietnamese food at Le Colonial. Yeah, we had a little different opinion on that because I didn't expect to be blown away. I kind of knew I'd eaten at the one in New York City, and I, could, I think I kind of considered that as a place sort of not for me. <laughs> you know, I think um, it tends to be a, pl- a place that, you know, people go to to see and be seen, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes the food is sort of beside the point. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know. I, I didn't hate it or love it. I just kind of, it was kind of what I expected. I feel that like that sense. concept is a little bit stuck in the past right now. I and I think that they need right. to get yeah. up to uh, 2020. Yeah, just yeah. the name itself right. has been controversial. Yeah, it has. And, uh, you know, the last one that I, that for me at least, um, I was really looking forward to Virgil's, the uh, which is which opened this, this year or this past year in, um, in College Park to be a real culinary exploration of Golagichi. And I think that it's um, unfortunately pretty superficial on that level. And I, I was really wanting to embrace what they're doing there, but I just don't think yeah. that their menu is, I agree. is there I at all. I was very excited and then somewhat disappointed, but their background was, and they weren't, they weren't chefs or restaurant people. Um, they wanted to have an event space in Midtown. So the restaurant was kind of an afterthought 
if you really dig right. into it. So, yeah. so this might be, you know. So, but they've turned it into an event space in sure. College Park, which is kind of transforming Main Street and College Park, which is one of the hot spots we we were gonna we we're gonna talk about. Sure. Yeah. And well, and, and and all of those too. When we think about um, a rise in black-owned restaurants, yeah. Um, you know, it extends beyond that. There were quite a bit this year of, um, you know, I I reviewed Gocha's Breakfast Bar, which is yeah. over on Cascade, and that, yeah, it, by like the way, that. I loved it. Yeah. I thought that they were doing a really. It's a vibrant, lively place, and I think it fills a good void. Over, you know, in Cascade Road, just a few years ago, they were excited to get like their first Chick-fil-A in there. There's just not a lot. So that was nice. And, you know, I mean, heck, we should talk about Slutty Vegan, honestly. But what Pinky Cole is doing, man, she is on fire. And whether or not you 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 like the food or whether or not you like the name, um, she sure attracted attention and really brought attention to, you know, the fake meat trend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. With long, long lines. When we went down to shoot, me and I were trying to get in the door, and people were mad at us because they thought we were cutting the line. <laughs> right. So it, you know, yeah. people are people are yeah. serious yeah. about it. Absolutely. Passionate about it. Well, also when there was this impossible burger shortage. Pinky wasn't one who, and a bunch of chefs around town were a little bit annoyed that they couldn't get their product because of their, and to, you know, keep up with their impossible burger, burger versions. Um, Pinky Cole had not run out, and she was... Um, you know, it was full steam ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the kind of relationship I think that she has with her uh, suppliers. But um, yeah, she, I mean, she has gotten, you know, even national attention there. Okay, so if we think about some of the really big restaurant openings this year, I've already mentioned Deer and the Dove and, and you know, me really, really liking that one. Do you guys have other ones that are um, that make your tops list? Yeah, I think Lazy Betty, partly because it has a really good story. The chef, Ron Su, grew up in Atlanta. His parents owned seven or eight Chinese mom-and-pop restaurants. His mother didn't want him to be a chef, um, and he really wanted to be a chef, and he eventually dropped out of UGA and and went to Australia and studied uh, culinary arts and worked his way up to creative director at La Bernadette in New York, which is one of the best restaurants in America came home to open his new restaurant called Lazy Betty as a tribute to his mother, Betty Sue, who was beloved by all of their friends and family and helped so many people. Um, And um, it's a tasting menu restaurant, very expensive. I think the the top price is $165. Um, But I think it's a great story. Betty passed away about three months after it opened. Um, but they continue to honor her. Oh, yeah. So. I, I was able to sit down with Ron and his siblings, who, by the way, they run Sweet Auburn. Yeah, that's Barbecue. right. And, um, and it, it was a very heartfelt conversation. But, yeah, they continue to, to honor her um, daily over at that restaurant. I do think that um, – I wish that their bar menu was a little bit more expansive because that at the bar menu is where you can pick expansive, and choose. Expansive but not expensive. <laughs> yep, expansive but not expensive. You know, I mean, if some people just can't afford a hundred sixty dollar tasting menu, and there are some, some things that they have on their nibbles, um, but it's just not, it's not very much. And I think that um, if you really want a taste of Lazy Betty, and you're going to have to uh, shell, you know, shell out some money. How about you, Bob? What I really love Southern Belle. It was. Um... I did get to go to a media tasting, and that was great. And then I went back a second time. I just think it's a really cool place. It's the kind of place that I would eat a lot. I don't go to $160 uh, tasting menu places. 
But the interesting thing about it is, and you'll find out about this soon, I guess, is Georgia Boy is a tasting menu. So I think it's a really neat thing that he's combining a very, you know, no reservations, walk in, they're doing fun stuff on Sundays. I went out there, they were grilling oysters and doing, you know, stuff like that in the back. Um, I could see they're going a lot if, before I go to the plaza to watch a movie. It's just, I think it's a great space. Yeah. Can you describe the food a little bit? Is it, it's, it's real Southern? <laughs> it's food? not real Southern. Okay. It's very, it's, it's very, very much, I, I hate to make <clears throat> reference to gun show, but it's a okay. lot of small plates, but I think the small plates are really, they're very good to share with two people and they're reasonably priced. There's not much okay, that's, that's above good. like 15 bucks or something like that. But mm-hmm. but I'm gonna be very fascinated to see how the other part works because it's going to be sort of a, almost, you know, like a secret room experience, you know, mm-hmm. and you come in and, you know, I, I don't wanna do any spoilers, but you know, you're, you're gonna be led into a real experience yeah. with it and kind of a secret passageway. Mm-hmm. And, and it's gonna be expensive. So it's gonna be kind of the other side of what he's doing in the front, yeah. Well, for me, do you want to know one of the most interesting, and this, we haven't talked too much OTP. Um, I recently reviewed MTH Pizza, which is from the Muss and Turner's guy, and when I think about uh, the Muss and Turner's team, I should say, there's a trio of them, obviously. That is some good pizza. I can... uh, Every pizza that I ate there was absolutely great, except for there was one, and it was called the Gordo Pizza, and that whole, it's essentially uh, more or less vegetarian, although I think that there's like, there might be pepperoni on it, but the idea is it's it's vegetable-focused, um, featuring butternut squash. The problem was that the weight of all of the toppings was just too much for yeah. for the crust, and it couldn't it couldn't handle it. Just couldn't sustain it. It collapsed. But everything else, every other pizza I had there was spot on, terrific. I mean, I was sitting there with dining partners who just as after they took a few bites of the margarita, they're like, they we quit talking, and everybody just was focusing on their foldable pizza because it was so good. Great. So I'm glad for those guys. Yeah. So there's one other um, restaurant I forgot to mention that I think is important. Go for it. That's Eight Arm. Okay. As a new executive chef, Marcella Vega, who was doing pop-ups, making uh, tamales and selling them. And um, they named her executive chef. And it's she pays tribute to her Mexican background, but not a lot. And the food is very plant-based, very veggie-forward. Probably the most exciting place I reviewed all year. I love it. That's so great. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to 2020. Yeah, me too. We should tell them about a change that that's coming in the paper. Yeah, you just alluded to that when you were talking about stars. Okay, so the last time that we made a change to the um, star rating system was, I think it was in uh, 2014 when my predecessor, John Kessler, was here, and we switched from a five-star to a four-star system. And we're keeping our four-star system, but going forward, every restaurant that we review is now going to have stars. Should, well, let's, tell, well, let's talk a little bit why. Yeah, you could, you could have no stars, or you could give everybody stars. And I think readers kind of depend on the stars. That's, you know, make probably make chefs nervous. But um, let's face it, some people aren't going to 
read the entire review. I should review. say that, but we want them to read every word, but they don't. But um, yeah, so we readers will see a star next to every restaurant that we review. And um, one of the reasons for that too is because, uh, first of all, the dining scene has changed compared to what it was, say, 10 years ago. And previously, perhaps we would um, apply sort of a different um, sort of, uh, I don't know, criteria to a restaurant that was maybe um, fine dining as opposed to one that was just really super casual. Yeah. And that really no longer, that's not the case. And we want, I think we want to show that everything is equitable here. I think it's an outdated model. It wasn't just us. It was a lot of newspapers where international food and casual food and cheap eats would get secondary play. It's just more fair to treat everybody the same. Right. So that's something to look forward to in 2020. I'm excited for... It's a new decade. The new decade. The new year. Yes. Lots of good food and drink. So, yeah. Cheers, guys. We'll be at it again. Cheers. Let's see what's happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days. The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime was one of the most produced plays in the U.S. in 2019, and now Aurora Theater is bringing it to local audiences. Based on Mark Haddon's lauded novel, the play follows a teenage boy with autism as he works to find out who killed his neighbor's dog, a crime which he was wrongfully accused of committing. The play uses video projections and movement to convey the workings of the young boy's inner world. The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime opens at the Aurora Theater in Lawrenceville on January 9th and continues through February 9th. Tickets are $25 to $60 and are available at auroratheater.com. The Christmas finery may come down as Stone Mountain Christmas comes to an end on January 5th, but it's not just the decorations that bring in the crowds. There's still plenty of fun to be had at Snow Mountain. If you want to play in the snow, Snow Mountain is the perfect place to do it. Why wait for the weather to cooperate when there's always snow at Snow Mountain, which features a 400-foot tubing hill with 20 lanes, a play area, and even a special spot for the kids ages 3 and younger. Parking is $20 or $40 for an annual pass. Snow Mountain offers two-hour tubing sessions and all-day access to the play area with tickets starting at $34.95, and the attraction continues through February 23rd. It all happens at Stone Mountain Park. For more info, head to stonemountainpark.com. The concert scene gets off to a slow start in the new year, but one of the most anticipated tours of the year comes to State Farm Arena as Celine Dion takes the stage on January 11th. The Courage World Tour began back in September, drawing positive reviews and landing on Billboard's list of best shows of the year. It's the Canadian singer's first U.S. tour in a decade, and her last appearance here in Atlanta was in January of 2009, the same venue, when it was known as Phillips Arena. Celine Dion comes to State Farm Arena at 7.30 p.m. January 11th. The remaining tickets range from $125 to $249.50, and you can find those and more info at statefarmarena.com. Also on January 11th, Liverpool native Ian McNabb will make his way to the Earl in East Atlanta. The name might not be familiar, but if you were around in the 1980s, you very likely know one of his songs. Whisper to a Scream, Birds Fly, by the McNabb-led trio Icicle Works, made it just inside the top 40 back in 1984. But, like so many seemingly minor hits of the era, it's become even more familiar over the years. 
It's one of those songs that you'd swear was a bigger hit than it actually was. Still, it was the band's only entry into the upper reaches of the charts. But for those who investigated it a little deeper, Icicle Works created a trove of brilliant songs, including the propulsive Understanding Jane and the UK Top 20 hit Love is a Wonderful Color. The band's powerhouse drummer, Chris Sherrick, would go on to play with World Party, Robbie Williams, and, most recently, with Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. McNabb has had a long solo career following the end of Icicle Works, beginning with 1993's Truth and Beauty, and his most recent is 2018's Our Future in Space. The follow-up, Utopian, is in the pre-order phase on McNabb's website and should be out sometime this year. Catch Ian McNabb in a rare U.S. appearance at the Earl on January 11. Tickets are $25 in advance and $30 at the door. You can find those at badearl.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felicien. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.